Okay, hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of A Girl Like Me Live. I am Sierra CC COVID, I'm program manager here at The Well Project. And A Girl Like Me Live is an interactive live streaming series advancing health and wellness discussions and education among women living with and vulnerable to HIV. Monthly, I will sit down with different co-hosts to chat about key topics in our communities. In today's episode, I have Community Advisory Board member of the Well Project, Marissa Gonzalez, and Tierra Perkins. I'm so excited to be having this conversation about talking new HIV diagnosis with you two ladies. So I'm going to first open this up. Gonna start with Marissa. Um, can you just give us a brief introduction of yourself and your what is your affiliation with the Well Project? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Thank you, thank you. So my name is Marissa Gonzalez. As Cece said, I am a community advisory board member for the Well Project. Uh, I joined the team in 2020, and I started blogging in 2019. I live here in uh, Florida, Southwest Florida, to be exact originally from Jersey, and I'm super excited to dive into this very vital conversation. And you, Tierra. Hello, my name is Tierra Perkins. I am I'm from Philadelphia, and um, I don't have any affiliation with the Well Project yet, but maybe in the future. Um, I'm excited to do this interview today, and I'm just here. Thank you for this opportunity, Cece. Of course, I love that you said yet, yeah, because once we get a hold of you, you know, you done found a sisterhood and we done took you in. OK, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I feel like this conversation is so important to have because just last week, I believe we received a, um, a comment or an inbox from someone who was newly diagnosed. And you I don't know if you all can relate, but those feelings that you have at, you know, the point of being diagnosed and just like sometimes feeling hopeless and not feeling like you have somewhere to go. So I felt like it was a good conversation to bring to this platform because unfortunately we're in 2022 and there are still new HIV diagnoses that are happening. Mm -hmm. And saying that, I'm going to start with Tierra. Tierra. Can you tell us when you were diagnosed? Like, how recent was that? I'm so sorry. I'm still trying to get this shared on my Facebook. That's why I keep looking down. I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, so last year on July 29th, I found out. So last year, July 29th of 2021, I found out that I was HIV positive. So that's about, I guess, seven, eight months now. Yeah, so it's still fairly new. Hasn't been a year yet. And um, yeah. That's that, I guess, about eight months ago. Wow. Marissa, how long have you been positive? Been uh, so it is going on six years, uh, May 23rd, 2016. Yes, 2016. Um, and I just want to say, Tierra, I commend you fully for the strides that we, at least from our end, that we can see for you to be willing to open up and share your story publicly just after eight months. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I know that's what I said too. I know that like I'm 14, almost 14 years and I never remember my date fully, but I know that it was June 2008. So coming up on year 14 and immediately, like after my diagnosis, I wanted to get out and start helping folks, but it wasn't on large platforms like this. Um, I was comfortable enough, you know, to speak in my own community um, or to speak with my family and advocate there, but not necessarily getting up and telling the whole world. So I'm, I'm so grateful that y'all are here and willing to participate in this conversation. Um, what did it feel like? Like how, what was your diagnosis story like? Like, where were you? Were you? at a hospital? What made you get tested? Can you go into that a little bit? Can you guys hear this? Because I finally did it and I don't want it to interfere. Okay, let me do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to start? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so like I had said, it's going on six years now. Um, and I have been one that's always been very proactive in healthcare, if you will. So I had treated with, you know, regular pap smears, primary care doctors, all that stuff. 
And I had been with my gynecologist for several years and every year she made it a point to say, we need to get you tested for everything. Uh, me not really realizing everything also included HIV. And in the state of Florida, you actually have to sign off a waiver for HIV to be included. Um, so that just goes to show you how much I wasn't paying attention because I signed off for her to do it, but not really realizing it. Um, so after uh, maybe four or five years treating with her is when the diagnosis came up. And that's how it came about, uh, just through a regular pap smear annual exam. And what about you, Tiara? How did you find out? Well, with me, I actually wasn't going in to be tested for HIV. I'm anemic. I was going in to get my iron levels checked. And due to COVID, I realized I haven't been into the uh, actual GYN office in a while to get like a workup done. I was in my primary doctor and I asked him since he was taking my blood, will he be able to check it for everything? And um, that was on July 8th. When you said you don't remember the date, Cece, I remember these dates like I know when I went in, I know when they called me, I, I know when they, I know you're 13 years in, so it was like, you know, but I just remember everything is just forever stuck for right now. So, um, yeah, I actually wasn't even getting tested for that. And I was so mad at myself because I get tested for my arm pretty often and I got tested in like March and I didn't ask. And like she said, she signed off on it with me, with my doctor's office. He didn't really make that um, a thing. So if you didn't ask, he didn't do it. So I was like, dang, when I came in March, I could have found out sooner. Or if I had it then, I don't know. So it was just like, you know, uh, uh, why didn't I always ask things? So I feel like um, whenever you get blood drawn, guys, people who are watching, I would say just tell them to test it for everything. Why not? That's how I found out. Yeah, and mine was I went in to go get on birth control because mm -hmm. I was having sex and I knew that I did not want to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I asked for birth control and they just happened to offer the HIV test there. Right. And I said, sure, because, you know, that test always comes back negative. Maybe not always the chlamydia ones or, the, you know, the other ones. The <laughs> but the HIV <laughs> always came back negative. So right. why not? And I was in there on a Friday. Um, I tested, assuming everything was going to be all right. I just wanted my bag of condoms and my birth control. Right. And I got called back on a Wednesday. And I remember those dates. Can't tell you what, you know, the monthly date was. But I remember that because on that Friday, I had just met this guy. And we started a sexual relationship that day. Mm -hmm. And... For me to find out, you know, like four days later now that I'm living with HIV, I was left in such a position of like, what do you do? Like, am I supposed to go back? And like, I know the ethical answer, but being now living with HIV, how do I go back and say something to this person or to, you know, any other people that I have been in a sexual relationship with? Right. That was that was very hard. Right. I think the important thing to, to speak on right now is the fact that none of us went into that doctor's office for an HIV test. None of us. Very important. How important it is to include HIV testing into our regular self-care, our regular sexual reproductive health, like how important that is. Because had we not gone in for those other things, we might not have not ever known you know, not as quickly as we found out that we were living with HIV. Right. I'm, I'm going to read Bridget's comment. I had never been offering HIV tests until the one where I found out. I'm almost 50. Wow. Can wow. I ask you guys a question? Yes. Now looking back, um, people ask me still, and I really can't recall until I had a conversation with anyone. Do you guys think you remember or had any symptoms? Because I remember having night sweats one time. And I'm not a sweater. And I was told that is a symptom. But it was like, when she told me, because she's also positive, I was like, oh, wow, I do remember that. But I just kind of brushed it off to thinking it was hot. It was summertime. I was hot, you know. So do you th guys think you had any symptoms? You want me to go first, Cece? <laughs> okay. 
Um, for me, yes. Uh, you know, obviously thinking back on it, yes. In the moment, no. Right. Um, I was living with my boyfriend at the time and he was like super sick and we're like, what is going on? Um, so we had taken him to the hospital, whatever. Um, but then I started to get super sick, very similar symptoms, but it was all like a lot of stomach digestive type issues. Um, and it ended up being that my gallbladder was not working and they took out my gallbladder. Um, that all happened September of 2015. And then, um, I found out a few months later that I was positive. So I personally think that that was probably the connection there. Okay. And this question always makes me so nervous because as soon as you start telling someone what your symptoms were, right. you know, they'll start being like, <laughs> and I hate that. It. It's like these yeah. symptoms could also be symptoms of so oh, many yeah, other right, ailments, right, you know? right. but I'll say that my symptoms were, I started losing weight, but at the time, like it was something I was proud of losing weight. I could afford to lose those pounds. I couldn't explain the weight loss, but I was happy it was happening. Um, I I noticed that my lymph nodes on the side of my neck were swollen. They didn't know what that was being caused from. I just know that sometimes they hurt really bad to the point that I wanted to cry. Remember long shifts at the restaurant and just sitting in a small booth and crying because I was in so much pain in my neck. Um, I had been in the doctor's offices previously because of some issues that I was having and specifically about them lymph nodes. And do you know what that doctor told me? She told me that it was because I was putting perms in my hair and somehow the perms had seeped into my scalp and, you know, agitated my lymph nodes. I wish and somebody had a picture of our faces because I watched my face and then I looked at Tierra's. Is that why your neck now, CC? <laughs> That's not... Is that my doctor? No, is that why you're natural now with your hair? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it would make sense. Right. But, you know, and then it was even some tests that were run that noticed that maybe my white blood cells were low, but never was an HIV test offered. I, I can't believe to this day that I even ran with that story. You know, I let this doctor <laughs> convince me that it was my perms. Well, and but, not only that, I think to speak on it, you know, when a lot of us go into the doctor's office, we don't really know to like advocate ourselves or stick up or to open, you know, and to use our voice to say that doesn't sound right. Sometimes we, out of unknowing reasons, just go with what the doctor says because they're supposed to be the professional or we roll with what the doctor says because it's easier to have that as the explanation than it being something else more serious. Um, and I think, you know, even as you stated in the beginning, before you talked about your uh, symptoms, not everybody has symptoms. And right. I think that's one of the main things, if we're going to stress anything during this piece of the conversation is that just because Tiara felt what she felt, because I felt what I felt, Cece felt what she was going through, doesn't mean that everyone or anyone is going to go through those things. People right. have no symptoms whatsoever. Right. Which is why testing is so important. Very, very you would important. never be able to look at, I know none of us appear on this panel right now. You wouldn't be able to look and say, oh, that's an HIV diagnosis because you just cannot do that. You need to know your status. And I highly strongly suggest knowing the status of those that you have a sexual relationship with. Yeah. People can say all day. I know that I asked everybody that I was in a re sexual relationship with, have you been tested? They give yes. And that was enough for me to move on with their sexual relationship. Right. Somebody was not telling the truth or did not know. Right. Along right. The I'm reading right. Bridget's comment. I know that's why I laughed too. I was not <laughs> laughing at what he said. I mean, sorry, that's, I that's, that's why I said it. I, don't know. Um, I love Bridget's writing. Yeah. So speaking of Bridget, um, who is our community advisory board co-chair, um, I did post a question, you know, once again to our community advisory board, if there was any input for this conversation. And there is so much that they came back with. Um, Bridget said in her response was, knowing that people's initial reaction is not about you. It's about the three-letter acronym. If they reject you or are fearful when three minutes before 
then you were they weren't judging you in that way. I think that is so important because I'm not sure if you all have had any experiences with disclosing your status to anyone. I don't have have you had any negative, positive responses to telling people? Me? So, you know, I was um, very open and public with my status almost immediately. And when you said you had met a guy, um, I met a guy the night the night before I found out and we were intimate and I had to let him know. And he was actually able to go to his doctors and get whatever pill they offer. If you've been exposed to um, HIV within 72 hours, I think doctors and nurses take it if they like stick their self or something. So um, I had to let him know immediately and he was a stranger to me. So, you know, that was very, very hard, but he was so nice. Like I thank God for his reaction because he didn't blame me. He he took accountability. Like it, like I will always appreciate him for that because then I had to tell more people and it didn't go so well. But my first initial reaction with him, I will never forget. I will always appreciate. He's one person that I always still reach out to just to check on him and make sure, you know, he's still getting tested because I think they told him to get tested for a year, um, you know, because of being with me like to follow up and get tested um, routinely for a year. Of course, after that year too, but just because he was with me. So I've had good and bad experiences. We can go into that when, I guess when I tell my full story, but um, that's not the easiest thing. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning that, but um, yeah, that my first initial person that I told, it was a good experience for me. And that's, <clears throat> so that's actually very similar to me. So I, whatever anybody's faith is, I feel like God was in the right place at the right time because I was crapping bricks, if you will, um, when I had to first tell the first guy. And it was a couple months after, or a few months after finding out about my diagnosis and we were just hanging out and, it, you know, things started flowing and I'm just like, I got to go. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, I got to go. Um, walks me out to my car and he's like, what's going on? Like, I can see all over your face. Like you, like an instant shift just yeah. happened. Like what is going on? Right. <clears throat> and I just blurted out. I mean, HIV positive. Right. And I didn't like, I didn't know what to expect. It was late at night. I was with a guy that I kind of sort of knew, like we have been chatting on um, a dating site for a little bit. Um, and that was one of the first times that we hung out in person and I didn't know what to expect, what the reaction was going to be. And thankfully, like to this day, he knows that I appreciate him so much because his response was very much like the same person as you. Um, you know, obviously we didn't take it there that night, but he was just like, I appreciate you letting me know, like, I respect your honesty. You're so brave. Um, you know, and then we kind of just talked like the whole night on the car ride home. And it was like very like, I'm so grateful that he was the first person that I told because I think especially the first time you tell someone like the rejection, I think can be so detrimental. Yeah. Whereas at least we've had that positive experience. I don't it know why I'm sorry. Yeah. It does set it's a tone. tone. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because now when other people start to reject you, because the rejection is going to be inevitable if you're watching if you're joining us live whether you're watching the replay if you're positive and you're thinking of dating like the rejection is inevitable it's going to happen right. um but to know that there are people out there who aren't going to reject you i think is the biggest thing to remember even if you personally haven't encountered that yet shoot i still reject some people now even you know with hiv because um i don't want everything that everybody yeah. got not right. you know their energy any right. other sti that i already ain't got like i don't want it yeah. so i think that this was a great time to bring in another comment from our community advisory board this one came from joe she said in india it is difficult to request doctor for emergency pill within 72 hours of exposure she's referring to pep post exposure yeah. prophylaxis that's what he took okay um, majority that's great we're going to get back to it Majority of doctors insist that it is all in the head, which can would be a lapse if one wait to get tested because of the window period. I want to know that 
In the U.S., does one face the same or does doctor straight away prescribe the pill once the consultant is done? Are majority of the people um, tr transmission or is it all about the money? So I, I wanted to bring that up because Krista and Maria have talked about that in the chat as well as these seem like great opportunities for that other individual to have taken that emergency pill or PEP. Tierra, you just said that your partner, he did take PEP? He did take PEP. And um, I guess he was still in shock because he was like, my doctor said what's your viral load? He told me what viral load was. I was like, what's that? Like, I guess he thought I was lying and I really knew that I was positive, but I really didn't know. So I guess they were trying to figure out, you know, how, how far, what was my levels? Was I undetectable? And I know all of those things now because I'm learning so much, but um, yeah, he was able to take PEP and um, he definitely was thankful and appreciative to me because it was, it was so hard. He was literally a stranger. I met him uh, two nights ago. We went out on a date and then, so it was, it was really, really hard. Um, but he was easier to tell, um, he was, it was easier to tell him than people I've knew, known for years. So uh, I guess it's all dependent on the person. Like Marissa said, um, rejection is going to come, but don't fear rejection because I still get guys that come at me all the time knowing that I'm positive. So um, dating really isn't that much different on this side. Of course, it's a little bit different, but... Um, yeah, he was able to take PEP. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with what I'm saying, but yeah, he was able to take PEP, but yeah. What about your guy, Marissa? Was um, there a thing? Not PEP, no. We didn't really take it there that night, Um, and like I said, I had been diagnosed for a few months now. When it did happen, uh, you know, the condoms, you know, everything that we needed to do was used from that perspective, but no, PEP was not taken. He did, you know, just as a precaution, he wanted to, you know, get tested. So he did get tested, but he was fine. And for anyone out there who does not know, we are talking about PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, which I like to look at that as like an, a plan B for HIV. Yeah. So if you were exposed to the virus or don't know if you were exposed, there is treatment that you can take that will stop a, a new HIV infection. That's PEP. We also have a resource available called PrEP, which is pre-exposure um, prophylaxis. And that would be, I think of that as like birth control. You would take that every day just in case, once again, you were exposed and or did not know. That will also stop the HIV infection from um, happening. Okay. Um, oh, this conversation is going so well. I wanted to go back up to this comment here because I feel like this is what happens so often. Erin wrote the last fall she requested for her husband to get tested. She's undetectable, but he hadn't had a test since 2019. Mm -hmm. um, she felt like he needed to get this um, to get tested, and the doctor refused. That that kind of rubs me the wrong way, mm -hmm. um, because why why aren't we just giving tests when they are requested, or whether you believe I need the test or not, why not just you know give the test? Have y'all ever been in a, a situation where they are refusing you services or? Have you had to face that yet? Are you able to go into the office and advocate for yourself? I'll start with Sierra. Have you noticed that yet? Like, or very, um, I'm very adamant on advocating for myself. From my first appointment to the infectious disease um, doctor, my very first appointment was very overwhelming for me. And um, he kind of came in the room and introduced himself and told me he was bringing a resident in. And I'm like, I already had a counselor in there and then him I'm overwhelmed. I'm coming to terms with like, this is the reason I'm here and you're not asking me, you're telling me this person is going to sit in and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. So um, anytime they do refuse, I'm a person, I don't stop. I just had an issue with um, wanting to get this scan done on my head. Cause I was having headaches. He was refusing. I stayed on him, stayed on him, stayed on him literally for months. And he finally gave in. 
So, um, yeah, they definitely will refuse, and they'll tell you anything. He told me um, with the CAT scan, he said, you just had a CAT scan three months ago. Um, your insurance won't approve it. So I told him the type of insurance I have, and I said, I don't even need a referral. And that was three months ago. A lot can change in three months. But, you know, because I stayed on him, he eventually broke. But you shouldn't have to stay on him. Why? Like you said, why are they refusing anything, especially with a test? I don't understand it. Especially, she's undetectable. So that means she's a person living with HIV. So why would they not give her husband a test? That, that just, that's just so wrong. That's, yeah, that's wrong. I think it just speaks to the negligence of doctors and providers. Uh, HIV, if they don't specialize in it, it, it's a totally like, I refer to it as like in the Lion King, the, the black area that they refer not to go to. Like, I feel like regular providers, if they're not specializing in HIV, like that is how they, they don't get it. Right. HIV. They don't get it. And that's mm -hmm. why advocacy from our end is so important to be able to attempt to open those conversations and to shift the mindset, if you will, because they don't know. And they, they still have the mentality of, well, if you're gay, if you're white, all this other stuff, like, no, that's not, that's not HIV anymore. Like we're in 2022, like we need to wake up. It can happen to anyone, regardless anyone. of anyone. your gender, your race, how that's much money you have in the bank, it doesn't matter. Happen. Right. It can happen to anyone. Like Cece said, all three of us don't look the same. We, we can't be mistaken for triplets. So. <laughs> I love that. Um, Bridget just wrote a really good blog about risk, and I, I loved it. We are all, like, if you're having sex, you could potentially contract HIV. Like, I know that I wasn't doing anything different than those around me when I got diagnosed. I was just I was having sex. I was in college. I was having a great time. That, that suburban white lady is still at just as much risk if she's having sex. So I wish that we would kind of stop, um, you know, framing it in that way as if something you're doing over there is different than me. Right. And I, right. I especially get upset when other people who have experienced other STIs mm -hmm. for some reason feel like HIV is any different than that STI. Right. We contracted it the same way. We know that right. HIV can be passed in other ways, but this way that we both got this STI, with sex yeah. and i didn't choose hiv if i was going to choose a sti it wasn't going to be this one i would get something you know that would have a pill or a shot that you could get rid of i didn't choose this so stop acting like right okay and not only that if i might if i may you know like you said there are other ways to contract hiv so not even from the sexual perspective but injection drug use again that doesn't really have a face unless you are you know, there's functioning addicts and there's non-functioning addicts. I think it's, we need to figure out a way to try to, and I know that this is bigger than this conversation today, obviously, but there needs to be some type of plan and action to break down not only just the stigma, but the, the notion and the belief that HIV specifically has a face because it doesn't. Drug injection use doesn't have a face. Go ahead. Also, the people who have no choice that were born with it, like they contracted it from their parents, they definitely didn't have a choice. So for them to be treated a certain type of way or judged for a decision that their parent may have, you know, been a drug user mm -hmm. or however they contracted it. I think the stigma isn't fair at all. But, you know, we all know <laughs> it's here. But, um, yeah, there's it's definitely a lot of different ways to contract it. So mm -hmm. I don't get why people judge. Yeah, it wouldn't matter. It yeah. would not matter. We are all in the same plight. We are all in this, you know, all community. Yeah. We are doing this together. Right. Okay, so like fighting stigma and, you know, just getting out the truth. Because I think there are a lot of myths out there that people really believe. Um, so just getting out there with the correct information, I feel like is going to be our strongest weapon against this stigma. Um, Messiah from the cab, she asked... How do you manage convincing yourself that you'll be all right, especially so early? I want to hear Tierra, and then you can go, Marissa. How do you know you'll be all right? Um, like Marissa said, no matter what your faith is, God, um, I, I really 
I came from like a, a Christian um, background. So my faith helped me a lot. Um, and just knowing I had to be all right. I have children. I have two children, a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old. And um, they were actually the first people I told before I told people that I was you know, sexually active with. And I, I, I had to be all right for them. I, I think I, I just... I kind of pushed myself. Like people always tell me, oh, you're so strong. And it's like, I really had no choice. It's not <laughs> that I just want to be. I really didn't have a choice. I, To this day, I don't understand it. I, I can't, I really can't really answer that question other than um, my faith and depending on my kids and knowing that I had to be strong for my kids. They can't see me break as bad as some days I want to, especially in the beginning. And I'm still kind of in the beginning stages now um, because I was so open with my diagnosis. I didn't really get to deal with it because it was so much going on around me being open and sharing and why I wanted to share and how I shared. So um, I'm kind of like, you know, going through those motions now and of like kind of accepting it. But um, I would say my faith and, um, the relationship I have with my kids wanting to be strong for them. For me, it, I didn't know I was going to be okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't take the diagnosis easy at all, whether it was because of lack of education, stigma, self-internalized stigma. I don't know what it was, but I didn't take it well. Um, and a few days after being diagnosed, I did attempt suicide. I ended up in a psychiatric hospital on a three-day hold. Um and with my background, having worked in the medical field, having worked at substance abuse treatment centers, having worked at crisis stabilization units, I unfortunately was, was I knew what was going on. So I was good at manipulating the doctor. Um, so when I was there on that three day hold, I unfortunately didn't get out of it what I needed to get out of it. It was a, oh, I was just tired. I was just trying to sleep. I wasn't trying to kill myself. Uh, kind of thing. And the doctor believed me and ran with it, but I didn't know I was going to be okay. And I don't think I was okay for a very long time. Um, Tiara, I commend you immensely for being able to speak up so early on. I think it took me almost two years before I decided to speak up because I had that battle with, I've always been a person that didn't, wasn't afraid to speak up, but when it came to HIV, for whatever reason I was, and, and most likely because of the stigma Growing up, I had been bullied for a number of things. So when I got the diagnosis, it almost felt like another added layer of thing for, for people to hold against me. And I finally just got to a point where I was like, you know what? If I'm open about it, no one can use it as a weapon against me. Um, and it's, I have still have some days, you know, it's, it's not perfect every day. Sometimes I forget I have HIV. Sometimes I look at the pill bottle and I just want to not take the pill because I'm tired of taking the pill. Um, but yeah, I didn't know I was going to be okay in the beginning. Everybody told me I would be okay. Like the close family and friends that I shared the information with told me that I was going to be okay, but I didn't believe them. Yeah. Cause they don't know, like you're not in this situation. You don't, I know I'm the only person in my own personal circle that is living with HIV. So while I'm learning, everybody else around me is learning as well. And I love when you said you did not know that you was going to be all right, because neither did I. I used Google to tell me what my life expectancy was going to be. Talked about this in another episode where I figured, you know, I was 20 when I got diagnosed. So I gave myself another 20 years to live. And how differently you start living life when you think you only have 20 years left to live. Um so I went ahead and had my first child, you know, when I was 23. I always think how different life would have been had I waited if I was not positive. And, you know, maybe I would have waited a little longer because now I'm not thinking that I want to make it to my child's high school graduation. Like maybe now I'll get to see, you know, grandkids and stuff to even be able to have that thought now is different because I definitely did not have that hope at the beginning. I love the comment that just flashed across it. Um, she said that support groups helped her a great deal to a point that she can disclose her status in order to help others. If you call it a support group, I'm not coming. I say this all the time. I'm not because I don't look at myself as someone who needs a support group. Mm -hmm. But groups of women, other people who are experiencing the same thing, 
that has been extremely helpful to me. So whether it's a Facebook group that, you know, other people, other women who are living with HIV, if it's a support group of other moms that are living with HIV and breastfeeding their children, or just this is the Well Project, that blog has been so helpful to my life, Tierra. I invite you right now to, you know, become a blogger for the Well Project. Reading those other stories from women all over the world, you know, that are living with HIV and seeing that, you know, we have the same thing, but our experiences of it are so different. That has been helpful. And knowing that our voices are valuable and that they are helping other people, that has given me a sense of, you know, I can get up and do this one more day. Because it's not just about me. This is all of us that are in this together. So, yes. Could I, could I say one more thing, Cece? Um, like you guys said, you didn't know you would be okay. Initially, neither did I. When she said she attempted to uh, commit suicide, my doctor's office is around the corner from my house. I thought about crashing my car. But after the first initial, oh, my God, what is my... I told my kids so fast, out of fear. I'm like, so... Everybody always be like, I commend you. I commend you. It was like, don't give me that much credit. I was scared to death. I was scared. I was fearing for my life. I was public about my status because somebody threatened my life once I told him. So that's actually why I was public in case anything happened. I wanted the world to know I just wasn't sleeping around spreading this. I didn't know. But um, initially I thought of that, but then I thought of my kids and I guess like I said, it was a whirlwind of emotions and everything started happening so fast. So I, I'm not, no, I, I went through all of that stuff you guys went through too, but I guess everything just happened so f a little faster with me. So I, I just knew I kind of had to be okay because, um, you know, I, I did have my kids and um, you know how it is being a mom. You might have family, you can depend on this stuff, but you want to raise your own kids. And I don't want to leave my kids with nobody. So I'm like, okay, girl, get it together. You have to get it together. You're going to be okay. But initially, neither did I. But, you know, eventually I, you know, I, I got it together. But, yeah, I had those same thoughts I was thinking when I left the doctor's office. Luckily, it's around the corner from my house because if I had to drive a long way, I could have drove off the road because I promise y'all I thought about it. What I thought about was grabbing tissues before this episode, but I was like, we're talking new HIV diagnosis. I'm healed from that. I don't need tissues. And here you go talking about the kids and my eyes are just welling up with tears because that is one of the scariest things, you know, to that thought of ever leaving behind the kids. For sure. But then, you know, I sit here and think about how HIV probably won't even be the way that I lead this earth. You know, it'll probably be something real random, something you couldn't prepare for. And HIV, I heard a man, his name is William Bronner. What he will always say is, is like you have that one card in your back pocket. Like, you know, that's a for sure way that can probably get you out of here. But it probably won't be the way. Yeah. Um, you know, once again, so grateful for you to be here. Um, I want to go into Michelle's comment from the cab. She says that she thinks that we should also talk about disclosing and safety as well. You just touched on it, Tierra. Um, being threatened, like you're having your life threatened for disclosing a, a positive HIV status is definitely a thing. And I can see why it makes it difficult to disclose sometimes. Walking into that situation, Sierra, did you did you think that that person res would respond the way that they did? No, this was somebody I was dealing with for about a year at the time. And um, he, I had to let quite a few people know. And um, he was really the only one that reacted that way publicly, publicly, excuse me, publicly to me. They might've said stuff behind my back or whatever, but everyone was pretty cool, you know, um, but he threatened me. He sent me all these messages. Me and my kids weren't staying home. I was staying at a hotel um, for like a month. Um, even when we did came back home, I would close all the curtains. I put blankets over the curtains so it can look dark inside my house. My son wouldn't go outside and go to the basketball courts. I wouldn't let him go. My friends would try to get me to come out, go places I wouldn't go. Um, I miss important family events. I had my very first um, awareness event 
um, for HIV Awareness Day, which is September 18th. And I couldn't publicly post it because I was so scared that if he saw it, he would pop up. So I was just like living this secret life because I was scared that this man was going to actually kill me for disclosing my status to him. And I was just trying to do the right thing. And um, I definitely, definitely, I just had an incident um, with someone that didn't disclose their status to someone and it came out and it just was a horrible thing. And I regret so much with that day. But um, as far as with myself, um, I don't know. Disclosing is scary, but because of the way everything happened with me, I believe in doing it from the start. When I meet a person, if I feel like, um, you know, it's going to go somewhere, I, I don't want to get deep into the conversation. The days are talking on the phone and all of that. And then I have to tell you, and then you reject me. I rather you reject me in the beginning before we get too close. Like for the last three weeks I've been out, I've been meeting guys. I'll tell them we'll maybe talk for two more days and then I won't hear from them no more. That's cool. I can deal with that. But two months in, three months in, I can't deal with that because, man, I like you. You like me. And I don't want you to feel guilty into dealing with me. I don't. I, I want you to, like, everybody can't handle it. Everybody's not educated about it. Prior to my diagnosis, I wasn't educated about it and being undetectable and understanding what that means. And, you know, saying it with confidence that, hey, I'm undetectable. You will not get this. We can have sex protected or unprotected and you will not get this and really explaining that to somebody with the confidence that they believe it. And I've had, um, you know, experiences where people will act like they're okay with it, but then they really aren't. So I totally, totally understand why some people don't, you know, disclose. I, I get it. I personally um, don't agree with it, but I, it's not easy. It's not easy at all because most people aren't educated and they might not want to deal with you anymore. So it is, it's not an easy thing at all. Marissa, have you ever been in a position where you felt uncomfortable because of like threats in disclosure? Uh, not so much threats, you know, the, the rejection and, and the comments are real. I have not personally been threatened, but I also haven't really put myself in too many situations to have the interaction and the conversations to be able, I guess, to be threatened. Um, I was on, you know, some dating apps for a while and I actually wrote a blog about it sometime, I think before COVID, um, a gentleman, cause I had it on my page. Cause like Tierra said, I'd rather tell you up front. You tell me now if you don't want to deal with me because I don't want us to get into this. We on the phone for hours at a time, days in, months hours in. And, hours. And, then, <laughs> and then I tell you and all of a sudden you reject me because now I have feelings and you don't want to be around for this or whatever. So I, I was upfront about it as well. And on my dating profiles, it said it, living with HIV, undetectable. If you don't know about it, Google it. Uh, the reason I put Google it was because earlier on, I became the, everybody thought I was like the expert in all these questions and that becomes exhausting right. when you're yourself trying to figure out how to live a normal life with HIV. Right. Um, so I had this gentleman tell me, I don't even know why I just called him a gentleman. I had this guy tell me, um, well, why are you dating if you have HIV? And I'm like, what? I'm like, why does that you want to date and you don't got a car, right? I mean, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> come on now. Like, let's be real. What does my diagnosis have anything to do with me? I got a roof over my head. I pay my bills. I got my own car. What does HIV have anything to do with it? But again, it, like Tierra said, it goes to being uneducated. Um, but yeah, up front for me personally, just because I didn't want to deal with it. I've had the rejection. I've had the positives. I've had the negatives. I was just like, I don't want to deal with it. And I've even learned even when it's the first thing on your profile, they still don't read. So when I would get a, oh, yeah. we should chat, you know, off of this. Let me get your phone number. Let me add you on Facebook. Did you read my profile first? Well, which part of it? I have HIV. Right. Oh, I didn't see that. Right. Do you know how to read? Right. So, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's part of it, unfortunately. It's part of it. Dating period is not easy. Adding HIV it can be fairly normal, but because people are uneducated about it, that's that's the extra layer that you right. have to do. Right. 
but I was going to say that Michelle told me to tell y'all, not really, but she said <laughs> it was perfectly okay to unplug from all of this shit and just be. Yeah. Totally okay. If you need to unplug from any of these social media platforms, unplug from Google, just learn on your own, you know, how you are going to manage and deal and heal from something that can be as devastating as a new HIV diagnosis. Do that. Absolutely do that because you don't have to put on and fake like you are right when you're not all right. You should not have to take on the brunt of educating all of any dating site, you know, because you are the one that's living with HIV. Unplug. Unplug. Lynette, she said, I would make a post about it with a picture of myself and I would get inbox asking if I was talking about myself or someone else. Yeah, that speaks back to your point, Marissa. <laughs> and Katie said, no, guys, don't read profiles. <laughs> Almost have to put it in your picture. <laughs> Even like right on the booty shot. Like just put it right there. They'll see it then. They'll see it. Yeah. No, they'll still just see the butt. <laughs> but, okay. Um, I love this piece of advice that came in from Mar Maria. Um, she said that she would like to make a statement that's important for all newly diagnosed to know. And that I have always told them because they are special. HIV is not the end. These are not the 80s anymore. If you do what you are supposed to do, which is take your medication, live a healthy life, um, you can find support like from the Well Project or many groups online or off. And be a good person. You can not only survive this, but thrive. Um, she says, what Maria, she was diagnosed a while ago. Is she like 30 years in? Um but she's saying that today, disclosure is easier than it was back then, which I, I can't even imagine yeah. getting an HIV diagnosis before the time that I did. Because just in these 13 years, I've seen so many changes that have happened. Um, so I couldn't imagine it. But consider yourself blessed and do know that this is a human condition. I love that. It's a human condition. Going back to what we just got done talking about, anyone that is having um, that is having sex is can come back with an HIV diagnosis. Maria says it's almost thirty-four years. Whoa, that's like my entire lifetime that she's been living with that's HIV. Mine. I'm thirty-three in August, but you know, I think even still disclosing today a lot of people still have the mentality of the 80s. So sometimes, you know, I can't imagine what it was like back then when we were still in the core of it. And obviously today, some people are a lot more educated, but you come across those people. I'm not trying to make you feel old, Maria. I love you. You're beautiful. <laughs> um, but, you know, even just considering a lot of people still have the idea that it's still a dense sentence and they don't think that women can get it. You know, I think that sometimes make the disclosure part a little bit more difficult because people just are either uneducated or ignorant to it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, to anyone out there that is newly diagnosed or that knows someone who is newly diagnosed, I love this. Bridget says HIV is a circumstance. It's not who you are. It's not your personality. It's not your thoughts and ideas. It's a virus. I loved it. I wish I had somebody like that at the beginning of my diagnosis to tell me those things. Like, mm -hmm. I wish that I had a support group. No, because if it was a support group, I wasn't showing up. If I had an area of support, such as the Well Project or any of the other groups that I'm in, to tell me that I was going to be all right and these things that I have to look forward to. Tierra, you talked about that event that you did on September 18th, which is National HIV Aging Awareness Day. To have, even on that day, to showcase so many people who are aging with HIV. And I love the stance that the Well Project takes. We have so many people who were born with HIV that are now like in year 30-something of surviving this virus. They are aging with HIV and I, I look at their lives and I'm like, wow, y'all have made it this far. Y'all, you're fine or, you know, you're healthy, you're undetectable. Maybe I can make it a little more too. I, I just love the support we have. 
Yes, dear. Can I say something? The funny thing is you just breaking it down. So much was going on when my diagnosis. I remember now that it was the national um, aging, but I was just so pumped up with doing stuff and doing everything. Um, like, because I was positive, I went to my first AIDS walk. I was just doing so much. And I didn't really know what that day meant. I just wanted to do something because I called myself being proud or I don't know. I was literally a train wreck, but I was trying to handle it the best way I can. And um, because I was so open, when you just said you wish you had like people, me being open was definitely a blessing more than a curse because that's how I met you, CC. That's how I met Lynette. That's how I met so many great people that also let me know I would be okay. I don't remember if you remember the first conversation we had on the phone when I was talking about dating and stuff. And you and Lynette was telling me, like, girl, you don't have to settle because you have HIV. Like, we don't settle. We Y'all was telling me, like, girl, no, you're still that girl. You better act like it. Like, you can still do what you want. And I thank you guys for that because that type of stuff helps. Sometimes, you know, when you're quiet about your diagnosis, which I understand, you might not get those resources because no one knows. So you might not feel comfortable, you know, um, reaching out. But all of these people were coming to me because I was so open and it, it, it just worked out for me. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that because I thought I was going to never have sex again and blah, blah, blah. That was you had sex again. A lot of sex. <laughs> That's good to know. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, yeah. I'd be like, I got two kids. <laughs> and both of them are born since I've been living with HIV. Um, I think there's great tea every day. You, you're speaking of that support. And everyone does not have to be open, you know, and loud about their HIV. You don't have to. You have advocates that are out here, you know, like us and so many more that are out here that, you know, sometimes people will jump in my inbox and I make sure that there's something that gets brought up in a public forum. You don't have to be the face of it. I'm willing. I know when I started doing my work on Instagram um, that I was willing to take all of that on like whatever stigma or bad things that people had to say i was willing to take that on for the greater good and like you tiara that has connected me with so many great people like marissa like i love reading your blogs you know and the advocacy work that you do and we all reach a different population of people like they might cross over sometimes but your work your voice everything is so important because unfortunately here in 2022 we still have new HIV diagnoses that are happening. And to be able to be a part of someone's support system, I think is so invaluable. And um, even just like, to have the sisterhood, you know, if I can jump in, uh, the sisterhood was the biggest thing. Like I would have never, I don't think I would have ever crossed paths with Cece or Bridget or Maria. And like, now I can't see life without them because they are my rock. They are my sisters. Like, I don't even have to say when I'm going through something. And I get a message like, hey, girl, you good? And I'm just like, how do you, like, who sent you? <laughs> like, you know, it's just the the support that you're able to get through our platform here with The Well Project and just the sisterhood that you're able to build and connect with people who all different walks of life, but you can at least connect on that initial and then find all of the other things that you connect on. Like, it's just, it's crazy to say that HIV was the worst thing, but also the best thing that has happened to me. That would sound crazy to a lot of people, but I can definitely understand. I, I can relate to that. Um, mental health we have we're running to the end of our time but i think this was so important to at least touch on so how do you manage your mental health since living with hiv uh, with myself i think i've been more transparent and more realistic and saying um like i need help um in the past i've had mental health issues and I, I wasn't open to medicine. Um, I would try it 
and I wouldn't give it long enough to work. So right now, um, I've I've reached out to my doctor and it's so important to find a good counselor that you're compatible with because I had a counselor. I'm sorry, a therapist. I had a therapist, but she was a great listener. But I feel like I was running the show. She would tell me I'm very self-aware and I am. I know all about me and what's wrong with me, but I just don't understand why I do the things that I do. But she she wasn't helpful to me. So I'm in the process of finding another therapist that I'm compatible with. So um, I won't have to always like feel like I have to vent and get things out publicly or call a friend that might tell my business or be happy that I'm going through what I'm going through. So um, that finding a therapist and um, just trying to take the medicine, I'm still not fully there yet. Um, I, I just... I don't know. I, I wish it would work faster. If it worked faster, I think I would be more open to it. But um, I always be like, oh, I don't feel nothing. This isn't doing anything. Then I don't like the effect and how it make me feel. So um, I'm just being realistic because I've always had mental health issues. But with this, this has taken a toll on my mental health, like in the worst way. I'm just I'm sorry. Like you said, like acting like you're okay. And I'm really not like even now I have so much going on. And it's like, when it comes to anything related HIV right now at the moment, I hate it. I can't lie. Like it, it, it's all so new to me, but it's like just how my life has been going since it's been some good and bad, but like some of the bad recently has been really bad. And it's like, oh God, this person wouldn't have even been in my life if I wasn't in this situation. So I never want to settle. I never want to have to deal with somebody because they accept me. And then it turns out to be a horrible nightmare. And I just went through an incident with that. So I don't know. I'm just trying to like take control and be realistic and, um, the biggest thing right now is for me to find a new therapist that I'm compatible with that will really, really help me because I need it. I probably wouldn't just let this all out now if I was able to, you know, get this stuff out. So um, I don't know. I, th I just think I'm just like being more realistic and um, seeing things for what they are. I want to heal, too. So it's different when you want to heal versus somebody sending you or suggesting it. I want to heal so bad. I'm ready to heal. I'm ready to put all of this stuff behind me. Childhood trauma, a bunch of stuff. I'm ready to heal. So I guess that, that played a big part of I'm ready to heal. So I, I seek the help because I'm ready to heal. Oh my God, do you see how much support you're getting in the comment section? Um, I want to cry. I want to give you a hug. You're too far away. <laughs> no, I want to tell you that you're going to be all right. Sometimes that's not what we need to hear. Sometimes it is about just getting it out. And if this, this is your time to do that, then go ahead. There are some people out there that I know can resonate with those feelings. Like, 14 years almost and some days I still have exactly that feeling that you just mentioned like if I didn't have HIV you wouldn't even be in my life like what right. and then I'm going back to 2008 of those decisions that I made so please know that you are not alone you have so many people you can reach out to me you can reach out to any you know the people that are here I'm sure for support definitely thank you so much for your transparency and your vulnerability um, we're coming up to time, but Marissa, what do you do as a person has been living with it for like six years almost? What do you do for your mental health? So I kind of want to talk to Tiara. Like if I don't even get to answer that question, like that's okay by me. Um, give yourself some grace. Know that where you are was not, obviously not a choice. It's not your fault. You know, life happens. But give yourself some grace. You're not going to be okay overnight. I'm six years in and sometimes I'm not okay. You have moments. But give yourself some grace and know that even if it has to be minute by minute. Know what boundaries you need to set for yourself and for other people. Like if that's to say mommy needs five minutes or 
if you know it's putting something into practice or a code word or something to where you can just give yourself that few minutes that you need to just have a moment like this and then kind of pull yourself back together because I'm not a mom but I know moms always try to be strong for their kids so even if remembering to take time for you for sure and I do hope and pray that you find a therapist that meshes with you um I have a friend who just recently opened her own practice I'll be happy to share information with you she's here in Florida she's virtual um you know but I really do hope that you find someone that you mesh with I can wholeheartedly connect with you on that level as well because for the six years that I've been living with HIV I've been trying to find a provider a therapist and there just hasn't been one that connected and unfortunately my friend isn't allowed to be my therapist either um and I'm just like dang it but no definitely don't don't settle in life don't settle for a guide don't settle for a therapist find someone that you can connect with that you really feel not only gets you, but is able to support you in the way that you feel you need to be supported. Thank you. We got you, girl. Thank you. You stuck with us. I hope you know that. Like, for life, you stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you disappear for a couple months or a couple weeks, like I tend to do sometimes, we got you. I just changed my number recently. I I, I give, I like to, uh, I don't know, I'm learning to accept love as well because I normally shut down and this is myself and like I said, I changed my number two days ago and I kind of crawl under a rock and try to do it all by myself, but I can't, I can't. This is too much. It really is too much. This is the first time I felt like I can't handle something by myself. You, you're, you're so not in this by yourself, too. You are so, and Marissa, I think that was admirable to, because I got coping skills from what you were just, you know, helping another sister, and I got some light out of it. So, thank you. You do not have to do this alone. You cannot. You don't have to, and you should not do this alone. When things are feeling heavy. Can't you picture, you know, having to take your HIV medicines, need to know how rent about to get paid, the school calling you for the little boy, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff. Life don't end because you end up with the HIV diagnosis and mm-hmm. we get it. Mm-hmm. We get it. You are not in here alone. Thank you so much for your transparency and your, your vulnerability right now because I feel it. And I know that it is impacting and helping so many other people, even if you don't feel the strongest right now, even in when not feeling strong, you you're getting what you need right now, which is a release. And you are helping so many of us. All right. Thank you. you. We got you. And please, like Cece said, don't feel like you have to do this alone. I know as women, independent women, prideful women, women who have been through some ish, we tend to block ourselves off to people who just want to be there. And I I speak of that from experience. I'm still, while I'm very open about my status, I'm still very closed off when it comes to sharing stuff with certain people. So I get it. There is no pressure. But no, you do not have to go through this by yourself. Even if it's just to say, hey, can I dump real quick? And then just send it. And that's honestly why a girl like me, the blog, has been super helpful because I can't tell you how many pieces I've written and I've just not shared because it's it was therapy. I just needed to release it from my head, release it from my heart, and that weight does come off of you. So even if you have to get into writing or I don't know what works for you, meditating or whatever, but you are not alone. Thank you. It's so unfair that I can't personally give you a hug because I would. I feel like that's what I wanted. I need to come yeah. find you. Yeah. Where do you? What? What state are you in? Are you okay sharing your state? She's in Philly. In Philly. Oh, you in Philly? Oh, okay. I gotta make a trip to Philly then. Okay. I'm gonna find you. Spring break. Okay, girl. <laughs> let me know. Call me. Let me know what part you're gonna be in. I'm traveling the next couple weeks, but come find me, please. I'll find you. We can meet halfway. Whatever. Okay. We'll make it happen. Thank I'll you. hug her for you if I see her first. <laughs> Thank you. Better not see her first. I'm right up here. So you better not. <laughs> oh, oh my God. This has been great. Tierra, how are you you feeling? All right. We can connect after this. We can connect yeah. after this. 
Oh my God, this was such a great episode, which is why I know that we need to have these conversations. We, they are imperative. Um, and just because I smile doesn't mean I think something funny. They just say I got a nervous smile. So I want you to know that I'm not laughing at your pain. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I, just, I have a friend. <laughs> <laughs> laugh to keep from crying kind of situation yeah. we all do that alright so yeah. thank you all for joining us for our 17th episode of A Girl Like Me live please join us again in April um, where we'll be having another session um, we look forward to seeing you all then thank you and so much love out to you all I am you. Going thanks to for having me you're welcome